0: the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. See, God, our Heavenly Father, that spoke the world into existence, the creator of heavens and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, stepped down from the throne of heaven to come to earth in the form of a man. Jesus came to conquer sin and death and the devil for you, for me, for all people. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He came to be an example of how to love our neighbor. Jesus came and he suffered. He died on this cross for you so you can cross the road
1: to care for your neighbor. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.
0: I don't know that I can do any better than Emily did this morning by telling you that God meets you where you are. And like any good relationship, communication is key. He wants to hear from us, this loving Father. So whether it's the Peak or the valley, Scripture tells us to pray continuously, not when it's convenient, not when we have a joy or a celebration, not when we're hurting, but pray continuously because He wants to hear from us. So we have that beautiful opportunity this morning, either to lift Him up and pray uh, praise for what's going on in our life, or bring all of this heaviness that we're carried around with us and come and lay it at His feet. We have that beautiful opportunity in prayer to do that. So this morning, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray using the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
1: The history of the church is around the table. Hmm? For hundreds of years, this is where the people of Jesus met. The gospel spread
2: from one table to the next, from one home to another, all over the world. The table is a very ordinary. So we're keen
0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what comes to mind when you think of neighbor or neighboring? What things have influenced the way that you view your neighbor, those that live around you? Maybe when I say neighbor, the jingle from this commercial or advertisement that you hear nonstop comes to mind. Like a good neighbor, and you know the rest. Maybe it's a beloved TV show from when you were a child that you watched growing up and it taught you what it meant to be a good neighbor. Maybe it was an animated series that you watched for a number of seasons uh, with this kind of quirky neighbor that lived next door, maybe that's how you view neighbor. Maybe it was a TV sitcom, uh, the neighbor that lives just over the fence that stands ready to give advice and guidance about a whole host of things. Maybe it comes from a movie that you watched that depicts these neighbors next door as uh, strange and different and up to something and you don't know what's going on over there. Maybe that your own experience the own things that you've been through and the people you've lived around. Hopefully it's been a good experience. Perhaps it's the neighbor that is always over the fence line telling you what you did wrong in your yard. Why did you do that? Why did you not do that? Why did you let that leaf blow over here? There's all these things that form the way we view neighbor. So I want to contrast that this morning, how we treat our neighbor, how we view our neighbor with what scripture tells us about neighbor, how we should treat them, how we should not treat them. And I think if we look at three main categories, we can determine how we view neighbor, how we look at neighboring. So we're going to do that this morning uh, based on how we live, how we eat and how we interact with others. So Pastor Adam talked to you a little bit last week about how we view our homes and where we live. Uh, Our homes are these places that we put tall fences around and tall hedges. We go and we lock our gates. We lock our doors. We lock our windows. And we close the blinds and we shut the world out. Because we've been told that our home is our castle. A castle. After all, a castle is a fortress. It's a place where you have weapons on the inside to keep people on the outside. That's how we have viewed home. It's it's a place that's safe and secure, and there's nothing wrong with safety and security, but there is something wrong with us retreating to those places and closing the world out because we don't know the hurts and hardships of our neighbor. I read some research recently from a lady named Suzanne Simard, who is a professor of forest ecology at the University of British Columbia. And she has this theory that she calls cooperative trees. See, we look at trees for what they can provide to us. Lumber and shade, maybe fruit. But she said, no, no, they're far more complex than that. They're far more connected. They're far more social. She said there's this uh, underground network beneath trees that's going on from tree to tree. They refer to as the wood wide web. You see what they did there? There. So there's all this network going on within trees such that there's a tree growing in a really vibrant area that's thriving, but there's a recognition that there's trees in other areas that are growing in less favorable conditions, that are hurting, that need help. And so the trees communicate through this wood wide web and send resources and nutrients to the other trees. Isn't that amazing? So you have one tree that looks like it's standing alone, but it belongs to this beautiful community. In that sense, I think trees are getting it better we are. Also, how we eat tells a lot about how we view others around us. This is going to come as a shock to you, I know, but I love eating, and I'm really good at it. I don't want to brag. Uh, I'll eat pretty much anything that's set in front of me. Of course, I've set tomatoes, because we would all agree tomatoes are Satan's strawberry. But I love to eat, and I love my family, and I love to eat with my family. And we probably eat six or seven times a week together as a family. What I don't do very often is eat with my neighbors, eat with my friends. Life gets too busy, and I'm not intentional enough about that. I saw some uh, statistics online this past week, and because it's online, it's got to be true. It said that 84% of people think that having meals with their friends and their family is really important. I don't know who the other 16% were. Maybe they're eating porridge at home alone, and they're like, forget everybody else. But 84% of people say it's important. Yet the average American family, according to this study, only has meals just with their family, not friends, not neighbors, three nights a week. And sadly, I think that's probably inflated. I think in guilt and shame, we probably overreport. I think there's a lot of families that aren't having meals together very much at all. And there's all these other statistics about the last 20 years how the decline of meals with family and neighbors and friends has declined 33%. I think it's a lot more than that. I think that's underreported. But we know there's all these benefits to having meals with our family and neighbors and our friends. For kids and teens, we know they eat healthier food, they're less likely to be overweight, they do better academically, they don't struggle so much behaviorally or emotionally, they get to know other adults there's all these real tangible benefits of eating together. We're just not doing it very often. We're not in a place where we have meals and we break bread and interact with one another. Now, I can spend all morning talking to you about the state of this country and the state of this world. If we love each other, we have a pretty terrible way of showing it because it looks like we don't like each other very much at all. We have a hard time getting along. We're more divisive now than we've ever been. We separate ourselves in unique ways based on politics, and geography, and race, and socioeconomic status, even sports teams. Go Vols. But we're not focused on what we have in common. We're focused on all things that's so different about us. We've got to tear down that wall of divisiveness. We've got to learn to love each other as a neighbor. We don't have connections, conversations, real communication. There's no accountability to my neighbor. There's no vulnerability. Dare I would ever say that I'm struggling with something, I need your help, or what's going on that I could help in your life? We don't do that. How we view our neighbor uh, is dictated by how we live, eat, and interact with them. Now, Scripture tells us there's certain things that we should do with neighbor. So those are the things that maybe we're failing at, and Scripture will tell us what we should do in regards to neighbor, and what are the prohibitions, the things that we should not do. So Scripture says that we should love our neighbor. We should honor them. We should give assistance to them. We should treat them fairly. We should forgive them quickly, easily, but we don't. It says there's certain things that we should not do to our neighbor. We shouldn't bear false witness. We shouldn't oppress them. We we shouldn't sit in judgment of them. But we do. We're told to love our neighbor as ourself. So the question may become, but who is my neighbor? Maybe we're looking for an out that Jesus would say, love these people, but let's all agree you don't have to love those people. He doesn't say that. See, Jesus universalizes neighbor. Even those that are far from us, geographically far from us, actually far, they're our neighbors. Even those who may be close to us but are different in political views and philosophies and theologies, those who are far from us, they're still our neighbor. He universalizes that. But Jesus also particularizes neighbor. He individualizes neighbor. He said it literally is the person beside you to the left in the house to the right. The house across the street. It's the people who live close enough to you that you can give aid to them and check in on them. A couple of weeks ago, I woke up late for work. I overslept and, you know, when you oversleep, everything goes wrong after that point, right? You can't find anything and just become later and later. I kept looking at my watch, I couldn't find my keys. I kept looking at my watch, I couldn't find my laptop bag. All morning I was running later and later by the minute. So I finally make it to my Jeep, I get out into the cul-de-sac and I'm pulling down the street of my neighborhood, and there's a widower who lives a couple doors down. His wife died a few years ago, and he has a dog. I don't know how old this dog is, but it doesn't see very well. It doesn't hear very well, but he lovingly every morning guides this dog across the road to a lot across the street so he can use the restroom. So I saw him that morning as I passed him around the curb. I looked at the clock and realized I was running later than I thought. I get out a straight stretch of road, I look at my side-view mirror, And I can see him kind of around some tree covering in that lot, and he's wearing his retirement uniform, shirt, shorts, and (laughs) flip-flops, and the grass is wet, so I watch as he slips and he falls, not like a trip, oh no, I've got my pants dirty, or let me catch myself, like ice skating rink, feet up, flat on his back. So I pump my brakes in the middle of the road, and I look at the clock and realize how late I am, and I look at my side view mirror, I'm going, he's probably okay, just go to work. And I sat there for a minute, said, he's probably okay, just go on. But something told me to go back. So I pulled in the driveway, I went back, and by that time he had gotten up and he was dusting himself off, and I rolled my window down and I said, are you okay? And embarrassed, he said, you saw that? I said, I did. And it looked like you were hurt, are you doing okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. So I rolled up my window and I started to make my way back to work, and as I rolled up my window, he said, hey, but thanks for checking on me. Because sometimes people just want to know that they're loved and cared about. It's easy to check in with people around us. We're told to love our neighbor. There's a lot of scripture, a lot of verses about that. This morning, our our scripture for the morning is going to be Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. You've probably heard this before. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you're using a Pew Bible, you can see the page number. Uh, on the screen, uh, but let's take a look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. You've got to love lawyers and their questions. Saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is Jesus. He said to him, What is written in the law? And how do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And listen to this. And your neighbor as yourself. That same language, that same command, comes from all the synoptic gospels. That same type of love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And the second part, I want you to see verse 29. It says, But he desiring to justify himself. So he's not asking for good and noble and honest purposes. He's desiring to justify himself. He doesn't ask, how can I be a loving neighbor? He asks this question. And who is my neighbor? I told you Jesus Jesus universalizes neighbor. He doesn't give us a workaround. He doesn't give us a free pass. But that's what's being asked here. Yeah, but who really is my neighbor? Jesus replied, With this parable, Jesus taught in lots of parables. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. So, this road from um, Jerusalem to Jericho is still there. It's a very treacherous road, it's about 18 miles, it descends over 3,200 feet, and the topography is perfect for robbers. And that's exactly what we're going to read here says, Jesus replied, a man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, there's going to be three people who pass down this road. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Thank goodness, right? This man's just been beaten and robbed. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, thank goodness someone from the tribe of Levi is here, right? He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, which is two days wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus gives him this great command. He says, you go and do likewise. See, there was this hierarchy of people who came down that path. A priest that we would expect to render aid, but he doesn't. A Levite that we would expect to render aid, but he doesn't. It's the Samaritan. A commentary that I read this week said it would be culturally unthinkable for a Samaritan to render aid. See, the Jews viewed themselves as this pure descendant directly from Abraham, and the Samaritans from the north, they were less than. They were those people. They were a mixed race because of the exile. It wasn't the person that we would expect to come and render aid and care for this person. Those people. How we care for others, how we live, eat, and interact with them says how we view their neighbor. The Samaritan was a good neighbor here. Being a good neighbor, loving your neighbor, having compassion and mercy, it's going to cost you. It costs the Samaritan money and time and emotion. Being a good neighbor is going to put you in situations you really don't want to be in, but you're there because you care about them. I had a friend whose dad passed away a few weeks ago unexpectedly, and Amber offered to make uh, a pasta dish for the family. So we drove to their house, and I got out in the driveway, and I was holding this pasta dish. And if I can be honest with you, I just really didn't want to go inside. Not because I don't love them, because I love them deeply and fiercely, not because I didn't want to be there, because I did, but a small part of me knew it's hard to be in that situation when someone's hurting and they're struggling with grief and they're mourning. And sure enough, when I walked in holding this pasta, you could just feel the heaviness of grief in the house. So my game plan was to get to the kitchen island and set down this pasta and speak to them for a moment and, and leave selfishly as quickly as I could. Shame on me. But I took the pasta into the kitchen counter. I set it down on the island, and I offered up some condolences. And I had my hand on the counter, and Amber standing beside me. And I said, well, I'm really sorry for your loss. And the wife grabbed my arm. And with tears in her eyes, she said, will you pray for us? So like the good seminary student and the good vicar that I am, I looked at Amber, and I said, all right, you're up. She said, oh, no, you're not getting out of this one. So I said a prayer from my heart. I asked that God would be close to them, be near to them, to heal, to wound their broken heart, to remind them of all the promises in Scripture about the eternal life that we have to come. A couple of days had gone by, and I hadn't checked back in with my friend, and I was at a conference, and there was a man talking about clients and customers and how intentional he tries to be with communicating with his clients and his customers. And he told this story, he said, my own dad passed away a few years ago, and he said, while neighbors came by and they offered food and the, kind of the obligatory condolences, I look back now and I wonder where my neighbors went when the casseroles were consumed. Being a good neighbor takes intentionality. It takes time, effort, and love. How we view our neighbor plays out and how we live, eat, and interact with them. When we think of our, ca- our home as a castle, what if instead of a castle, it was this place where we could care for others, bring in those who are hurting, where they can heal, they can be a part of our home? Remember the Wood Wide Web, remember the Good Samaritan. Who on your road to work and worship, maybe school or the store? Who has been beaten down by life? Who has been robbed of joy? Who lays hurting and hopeless and helpless? And all the people that should be rendering aid, just walk by. Remember the wood wide web. Remember the good Samaritan. What if our home wasn't something that we purchased with our money and our efforts and our works, and this belongs to me? What if we actually came to the realization that this is a blessing from God? That this was a gift that God gave us? That this is an opportunity to say grace and break bread with our neighbors and love them? Remember the wood wide web. Remember the good Samaritan. Pastor John Mark Comer is a pastor in the northwest part of the country. He was talking to his congregation about this some time ago, about opening our homes and loving our neighbors and thinking about the examples of Jesus from Scripture. He said, I dare you to do this. I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember the wood wide web. Remember the Good Samaritan. Our home can be a community center if we want it to be. You may say, Adam, I don't want to invite that guy down the street or that lady around the corner. Nobody gets along with them. I don't want them in my home. I don't want to go to their home. And even if I invited them, they're probably not going to come. And to that I say, so what? Invite them anyway. Lean into loving them like Jesus would and see what happens. You may be surprised. Remember the wood wide web and the Good Samaritan. This uh, past week, Pastor Adam and I were visiting. He's hiking today, so you're stuck with me. But we were talking about neighboring and this neighborhood and parking logistics and all those kinds of things. And we were talking about fall planning, all the connect groups and the classes we have planned. And we began to talk about farther out. And part of that conversation became, what if? What if the point is no longer here? What if the point went away? It happens to churches. What if you pulled up walked up those stairs, and tugged on those historic doors, and they didn't open because we were gone. Some of you have called this place home for over a decade. Some of you have called these beautiful body of believers, these fantastic followers of Jesus, you've called them family. What if it's all gone? What a travesty, what a heartbreaking travesty that would be. But I'll tell you, worse of a travesty, is if we're not here, and this neighborhood is totally unfazed, it goes totally unnoticed, we should be the kind of neighbor that if we're not here, the neighborhood groans and mourns and cries out because it's lost a neighbor like us. Where you live in your neighborhoods, would your neighbors mourn to see you moving? Some of you say, no, they probably helped me pack. I don't know but we can't wait for more devices than we've ever been. We can talk about it, or we can put it in practice. At the end of the day, God's beautiful, inerrant, and infallible word gives us instruction. If we don't take this and carry it out, we're doing it wrong. So I wanna give you some practical things that I can do, that you can do, that we can all do in the coming weeks. We're gonna start doing this. Start with eight of your closest neighbors. No matter where you live, you have eight neighbors. If you're like me, everybody lives around each other, it's a quick little walk. Maybe yours is a drive, but start with eight neighbors. And we're going to do three levels of, na- of uh, neighboring. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to learn their names. That may sound foolish. Maybe you already know their names. I'm ashamed to admit the eight families that live around me, I don't know all the names of the, fam- of the members of that family. you got to start by knowing their names. The old, uh, hey, buddy, there she is. Hi, pal. I do it, but it only gets you so far, right? If you don't know someone's name, how are you ever going to have a relationship with them? If you say their name, you speak their name, hey, Adam, how are you feeling? It feels personal. It feels much more intimate. So get to know their names. Level two, next step, we're going to know a few facts about them. We're going to learn maybe where they work, where they go to school, what hobbies they have, what interests they have. Are they from here originally? Did they move here uh, not too long ago? So get to know a few facts about them. And then ultimately, we want to get to a place where we're a part of their lives and they're a part of our lives. A place where uh, there's joys and celebrations. And when they make memories, we're a part of it. And when there's milestones, we know about it. And the hurts and the hardships, we're there. The Hebrew word for neighbor is a verb that comes from the uh, verb to associate with. It's a novel idea for us to associate with our neighbors. Maybe that can begin this week with a walk around your neighborhood to meet people. If you see them out, introduce yourself. It could be a prayer walk. Uh, some people walk through the neighborhood and pray for neighbors. Whether you know them or not, pray for them. Maybe you schedule a neighbor night. You have them over to watch a, a sporting event or a movie. Maybe you have a fire pit. It's getting nice and cool in the evenings. We had a fire pit on Friday. It was fantastic. Have a fire pit. Invite them over. Have meals with them. Whatever that looks like, Reach out and begin to do that this week. Pastor John Mark Homer, the one that I mentioned a moment ago, talked about when he was a kid, all the kids from the neighborhood would gather, and they would inevitably end up at one house, and the mom of one of his friends began to get to know the kids, and so she intentionally went out and bought containers and put all the kids' names on them, and she filled the containers with their names with their favorite candy. How cool is that? The two things came to mind when I thought about this, that this past week. I thought, that's a really loving and intentional way to show them that you care about them and they're welcome. And then two, I thought, thank goodness my friends' moms didn't do that. If I had a container filled with milk duds, they would have to drag me out of that house, (laughs) kicking and screaming and stuffing my mouth full of chocolate. So let me close with this. Back in April, I uh, talked about the book of of John with you, uh, about how Jesus was the Word. And so John 1.14 came to mind this past week. And I read the ESV translation. There's a lot of different translations. Uh, It's just the one that I default to. Uh, And the ESV translation of John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't read the message version very often. There's nothing wrong with it. I just default to ESV. Uh, But the message version I think captures it even more beautifully. It says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. See, God, our Heavenly Father, that spoke the world into existence, the creator of heavens and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, stepped down from the throne of heaven to come to earth in the form of a man. Jesus came to conquer sin and death and the devil for you, for me, for all people, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He came to be an example of how to love our neighbor. Jesus came and he suffered. He died on this cross for you. So you can cross the road to care for your neighbor. So in the words of Jesus from Luke that we read this morning, now you go and do likewise. Will you pray with me? Gracious and merciful Father, we love you so very much. We thank you for for loving us enough to send your Son to teach us to be an example of how to live, eat, and interact with our neighbors, those that may even be far from us. Father, forgive us for viewing anybody as those people because they are a beloved child of God. Let us remember that. Father, let us always respond to those who are hurting. Let us be vulnerable enough to ask others when we need aid as well. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So at this time, we will take up an offering. If you came today prepared to give, you may do so. There will be some popcorn buckets in the back of the sanctuary. You can give using uh, cash, check, Or chocolate? I mentioned a moment ago, I like the milk duds. Um, If you want to give today, you can do that. If you want to go online and give, you have that option also. You can go to thepointnox.com. There's a till icon where you can give one time, or you can set up a recurring remittance if you forget about it. But whatever you give, however you give, know that you uh, don't give to get God's love, but because you already have it. Good morning, Emily.
2: Good morning. How are you? Good.
0: So this is the part of the uh, service where we take questions and answers. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts and wonderings. And so I will do my best uh, to answer questions. Pastor Adam's not here, so I may have to punt some. I'm going
2: to hype you up. The first thing texted is, great job, brother. Thank you. Ah, thank you. See, now you're feeling all good for all these hard questions. what's next? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we actually did get a, a good chunk of questions texted in today. So first of all, My four year old grandson named Jonathan asked a question that I didn't know how to answer. I told him I will text him in, I will text in the question this Sunday. Great response. Um, When is God's birthday? And then they add, I'm of the belief that our awesome Vicar Adam Moore will have an answer. People are just hyping. No pressure, right? Yeah, no pressure.
0: Uh, I do know it's September 15th. I'm just kidding. I know.
2: We missed it.
0: (laughs) We should have celebrated. Uh, Pastor Adam may have a different response. I don't believe God has a birthday. I believe as God is ever-present, always was. Um, I'm not of the opinion of a big bang where it began in a certain year. So I don't know that we can definitively say God has a birthday. I think God's bigger than birthdays. God's bigger than calendars. Yeah. How's that? I agree. Okay.
2: I, I say hu- huzzah to that. Okay, next question um, what is your favorite translation, NIV, ESV, the message, et cetera, of the Bible, and why? What translations do you recommend, and are there any you recommend staying away from?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think at the heart of it, if you really want to be an overachiever, uh, you know, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. So if you're so inclined, uh, go back and study Hebrew. Uh, I have studied a little bit of Koine Greek, which was what the New Testament was written in. incredibly difficult, at least for a 41-year-old man with a difficult memory. Uh, But it's important because that was how it was written. So if you want it in its purest form, uh, I would encourage you to maybe find some of the closest translations to Hebrew and Greek. That being said, you know, is one better than the other? I'm sure there are certain pastors and denominations that would say, absolutely. I know some are very particular about if it's not King James, it's you know, it's heresy or whatever else. That's not my opinion. Uh, I used to read NIV, and I most recently read ESV. I think it's more accurate word-for-word word translation. The message is a beautiful way. If you've never read Scripture or you just want to understand it and then go press in more, the message is great. Mm-hmm. I shared this morning, you know, moving in, the idea of Jesus moving into our neighborhood resonates with me. Mm-hmm. So use it if it's helpful. Yeah. So I don't know that there's one that I know of um, that I would say don't read. Yeah,
2: yeah. 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 I love that. Um, okay, if how—this is, this is a good one. This is a hard one. Oh, boy. If how we eat justifies how we treat others, then how can you justify factory farming and the torture of animals?
0: Ugh, yeah, that's tough. Um, i tell you what's interesting to think of ourselves. If God created, uh, in one of our seminary courses that talks about we're creatures, right? So I'm a creature, like an animal's a creature, something that was made by God. Now, the distinction is we were made in God's image, and we were kind of put instead of those um, other creatures— but it's important. If, if we think there are people who are hurting, if there's animals who are hurting, uh, it, it's hard if you um, eat without consciousness about where it comes from. So I would just say maybe educate yourself about the foods you're eating and what the process is about where those foods come from. But um,
2: Honestly, that's probably one that would be fun, not fun, but good to dive in on a point Leftovers, yes. a little bit longer of an answer. Yes. Um, so I'm going to put that in my back pocket. Yes. To do, I'm on vacation this week, so <laughs> not this week, you guys, but next week maybe we can tackle that, that, that a little great. bit deeper.
0: We'll lean on Pastor Adam, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other one. Um, okay. Why are Milk Duds your favorite?
0: Because they're delicious.
2: I agree. Someone was talking about how they weren't, the, like they were a bad candy, like a throwaway.
0: The only uh, criticism I have of Milk Duds is the, there's chocolate caramel, which I love, uh-huh. but the chocolate can get kind of hardened. Well, that's a good, so junior that's a good mints, which are much softer. well, this is more than you asked for. <laughs> junior mints are softer, but they're mint, and I don't like them. Well, junior mints come out with junior caramels, but you can't, which are like milk does, but softer. You can't find them everywhere. When Amber does find them in a the store, she buys like 23 packs at a time, and then I just go on a, a, a chocolate bin, So <laughs> That's
2: very good to know. Yeah. Um, okay, someone says, since you are taking answers, the answer is Jesus. That is handy. Thank right. you. Um, this question... I think that I can, I can actually tackle this one for you. When is the directory coming so we can get to know our church neighbors? That, thank you for asking that. Um, we are working on it. I will say a lot of y'all did not get your photo taken. No judgment, but we might have to uh, follow up to make it a little bit more of a uh, all-inclusive. That's not right. Hmm, anyway, I'm not gonna try to figure out the word I'm looking for. Ah, ah, ah. Anyway, we're working on it. It will be, it, it'll be out relatively soon. I can promise you that. Um, we have not abandoned the project. <laughs> um, that, and then we have um, a couple prayer requests. So that's, that's the last of it, At, at the prayer requests. Remember the families at Summit Towers? Um, eight people passed on. Um, someone lives in their building in, in a rehab hospital. Um, This person's legs and feet are hurting them really badly, Um, and then she asked for prayers for her pastor and his wife and our church. So, I don't know if we want to take a second to just pray over that. Yeah, and then be happy to, and then that's the last of the questions.
0: All right, let's pray. Gracious and merciful Father, um, there are a lot of the uh, a lot of folks around us who are hurting. Uh, They're hurting physically uh, with disease and illness. Um, They have upcoming surgeries. Uh, Father, there, there are a lot uh, who are suffering mentally and emotionally. We just ask that you be near them. You are the great physician. Uh, you are the person who heals and raises people from the dead. Father, we, just, uh, we know that in the next life, in the, in the life to come, when Jesus returns, that we will all have perfect bodies and it will be this life of righteousness. Father, we ask that even in this life that you would uh, heal and uh, just be near them. It's all this. uh, We pray the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That's all the questions. That's all the questions. I got off pretty easy. Yeah, you did a great job. All right. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his
1: peace. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.